talking about lost at sea or mysterious things that happen at sea um, and we've got Yasmin back from her birthday celebrations celebrating her 45th birthday, birthday. <laughs> <laughs> oh it's very miserable <laughs> but yeah lockdown birthdays not that exciting so, yeah well, no, I've been through yeah, it I've got <laughs> that's all it counts I mean lockdown I had these don't count so I saw no one on my birthday yeah well, can I <laughs> I skipped two years then because last year it was we were almost going into lockdown. No, um, almost doesn't count. Sorry, yes. You don't get to skip one year. <laughs> not just ignore the whole of 2020 and then if I can ignore two years and I'd still be 34. I'd be no, Yasmin, you are 36. Yeah. Yeah, you've just caught up with us, so deal with it. Oh. <laughs> Welcome to the late 30 club. Stop happily Man. Four years away from 40. Can you believe it? Oh my god. It's going to fly in. Yeah. Just like being lost at sea. I'd imagine. No, that would be pretty <laughs> well, horrific. I don't think any of the things that I looked at implied that like your time flies when you're lost at sea. <laughs> now, I was out there for three years, but it felt like an hour. <laughs> <laughs> and all my friends died. Sure, <laughs> you even ate one of them, but hey, it was a party. <laughs> Has anyone, um, do you have sea legs? Is anyone like quite like being out at sea? Do you, have you been on boats? Have you been uh, on wee boats? What kind of, what's your sea shanty I went, stories? I went sailing for a week and I've always been like on boats, been on things like that, but just for like weekday trips. And on that sailing trip, I was so ill. I've never been so ill my entire life. Like I didn't know that I got seasick till then. It was horrific. I had to wear this little like patch behind my ear that would like stop me getting seasick. But yeah, I don't so like you, you don't have sea legs then, yes? No. What about you, Mark? I love being at sea and I have wonderful sea legs. Um, <laughs> I once went on like a school trip that I run. We right, went yeah. on one of the bits of it. You have to sail for a prolonged period of time. And it ended up being the case that all of the staff that were with us, plus pretty much everyone else in the boat who wasn't with us, plus all the kids, bar me and one other kid, were all like having to lie on the floor to try and stop themselves being sick and I was just like cutting about giving people water and like la 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 like yeah I, I, I'm, I'm a big fan of being at sea. You I must think, have been a pirate or some sort of sailor in a past life then? No a I fisherman. think was a squid in a past life. Yeah. Uh, no, no as a joke you know. <laughs> I, don't, I just have an affinity with uh, squids so yeah. I'm, I'm pretty sure I was a squid in a past life so yeah I'm, I love being at sea. <laughs> I am a bit of both. I mean, I, I, I've never really felt seasick to the extent that 
you know, I'm lying on the floor, can't move. The, the nearest I got to being seasick possibly was when we went, um, me and a former friend went on a ferry from Newcastle to Amsterdam overnight and um, it was choppy waters, let's say that. You would walk, or you would wander around the, the sort of the hallways of the, the corridors, the, the ferry from like your, your um, cabin to the bar and I swear to God, it felt like you were drunk. Like I hadn't had a drop of alcohol, but I felt like I was pissed because I was just like, <laughs> staggering from one side to the other because the boat was rocking that much and then I thought on the way back I was like if this is going to be as rocky as that I'm going to just ask for a sickness tablet to preempt any seasickness but actually I felt fine I actually quite liked it when I was lying in the cabin just feel, feeling like I was being rocked to sleep I actually quite liked the motion of the ocean yeah similarly like the boat trip I was talking about I mean yeah the waves were insane uh, to the extent that when we got to our destination, they'd actually cancelled all other trips for that day. They were just waiting for us to come in. And yeah, it was like, I mean, I nearly fell over multiple times because the boat was bouncing so much. But oh, yeah, I mean, it was quite enjoyable. Do you know what's good about mine is like we were on it for a week and then maybe halfway through it, we went ashore to like get something. And because I'd gotten so used to being on the boat that when I was on land, like I was swaying on land and I felt yeah. so I had to get back on the boat again. No, I've had that. Um, I've had that experience several times when I've been on a ferry. Uh, the first time was when in 1985 we went with our school. Again, I'm just always going to the Netherlands. I'm just <laughs> constantly going to Holland. That was the first time I went and we went on a trip. How awesome was that in primary seven? We all went on a trip to like the Netherlands. Um, yeah. So we went there and we, again, we went over on the ferry and then on the way back, again, we, we took the ferry across overnight and then we went to Granada Studios. I don't know if it still exists. It's like a sort of like third rate sort of Universal Studios in England and Manchester where they filmed Coronation Street, the longest running soap. When we were going around the sort of backlot tour, I felt like I was still on the ferry, like as if I could feel, you know, the rise and yeah. fall of the ferry. So it is, it's basically, yeah, I think it's just your body trying to get used to. Like, yeah, or like your inner ear is still. Like, yeah. Uh-huh. It's well. <laughs> it a weird feeling. Oh, I loved it. I was actually it was sick thinking about it again. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was quite fun, that phenomenon, because I don't like, I've never tried to listen to gin, so I suppose that's the closest I've come to, like, experience something out with my normal reality it would allow you to access the axis mundi yeah traveled into a parallel dimension like you in the axis mundi mark <laughs> one day you're just well, going to disappear and i'll just be like ah ask mark he's just went off in, into the axis mundi no big deal I mean, if i ever access the axis mundi i will walk into it so yeah if i vanish that that'd be why oh god <laughs> so if they come looking for you i'll be like oh don't worry that's just where he's went <laughs> yeah <laughs> Don't even bother having a funeral for him or anything because there's no point. He's just away. He'll be back at some point, maybe. Maybe. Who knows? Might come back with two heads. Who knows? <laughs> I need something pretty. <laughs> <laughs> she said he'd come back said, pretty. <laughs> I said, bring me back something pretty. Oh, I see. <laughs> we magnets from another dimension. Yeah, look at we magnet and a key ring, you know. <laughs> Shitty souvenir. Yeah, <laughs> I'd be offended if you didn't. Oh, definitely. I would want some fudge. Mm. Or rock. Interdimensional fudge. Yeah. 
<laughs> Speaking of interdimensional FUD, are you going to talk? You're going to introduce us to? Well, I'm sure everyone knows about it, but the the Bermuda Triangle. Uh, I shall introduce you to the Bermuda Triangle. And um, yeah, so I looked at the Bermuda Triangle. Obviously, you are correct in your thinking there. My main reason for picking it is because I thought it would shed some light on how I can travel to other dimension. My obsession. Um, Why don't you just get a wee boat or something or a wee plane and fly over there and see if you can make it to your, your dream? I mean, I wasn't really, if I'm honest, convinced after researching it because oh. I thought either pretty much everyone who goes through the Bermuda Triangle, where the vast majority of people, literally nothing happens to them, and then a tiny amount of people, something weird seems to happen, which I'll go into, but the majority of people that weird stuff happens to also seem to die. So, so, yeah, really so they can't um, really tell their stories, can they? <laughs> so, as you say, everyone knows what the Bermuda Triangle is, but for anyone who doesn't, the Bermuda Triangle is a region in the western part of the North Atlantic where large numbers of aircraft, just over 20, and ships and boats, just over 50, have disappeared in recorded human oceanic travel history, which is a very long time. The points of the triangle run roughly from Miami to Bermuda, to Puerto Rico. Um, I've been to Miami, so I guess I've maybe been a little bit close to it or flown over it. I get, yeah, you must have then. Mm. If you've been to, yeah, if you've flown to Miami from here, then logically you would have passed through the Bermuda Triangle. Sweet. Had I known that, I probably wouldn't have got on the plane. <laughs> I mean, statistically, I'd say you're quite safe because if you think of the number of people that have flown through it or um, sailed through it and we've got what like 75 disappearances in total and then maybe about like yeah. less than 20 notable notable incidences where something weird's happened but people have survived so for all i know we could have flew through the Bermuda triangle into another dimension and then back out again you or could. i could be in another dimension right well, now well uh, i'll give you some stories of uh, people yes. through the bermuda triangle and access something weird and see if you're your experiences were similar. So one of the earliest people to document their travels through the Bermuda Triangle was celebrity fuckface Christopher Columbus. <laughs> <laughs> Such a good way of naming him. So, <laughs> I would yeah. question his celebrities. But... Also, slight tangent, but did you guys see the thing about the headmaster in England that decided to remove the names of the slave traders as like his schoolhouses. So you know no. like our houses no. were like Avondale, Blantyre and Cathkin. His were like Slave Trader One, Slave Trader Two and Slave Trader Three. So we got rid of them and got like kids the Mothman? for what they wanted the new houses to be. Oh okay. And there was an article about it, but the article had been picked up by I mean it is the Daily Mail. The Daily Mail. <laughs> but someone had said to me, Oh you should go on and look at the comments. Like they were horrific like so many of them that weren't that horrific were what really confused me were just like one sentence saying uh this man needs to quit or he needs to be fired and i was I, like Don't. yeah <laughs> no i was reading it going like what? for what and then um yeah like loads oh. of the younger ones were i mean were insane and oh those insane. slave traders will be spinning in their graves <laughs> It actually said it shows you the state of the British education system that somebody would remove the names of heroes from a school and <laughs> with nobody's like, or, or, I, mean, I don't know if being <laughs> pro-slavery makes you heroic, but cool. <laughs> anyway, like how are these heroes? Well, 
Like because it's like, Daily Mail readers, yes, they're all racist fuckwits. I mean, yeah, they are all racist. Know, but even if you thought, okay, slave trading and it's just part of our history, you still wouldn't see them as being heroes. No. Well, they they probably would because they're saying that they maybe think that the slave traders are you know, like entrepreneurs of their time. Well, one of them, like, there was literally thousands <laughs> of comments. I had to stop reading that. I basically kept going and going because I was like, eventually somebody's going to say something that isn't batshit mental. They didn't. <laughs> but, yeah, like, some of them were saying things like, it was part of, what was it? It was like historical fact that back then that was just a job that some wealthier people had and it was just considered a job back then. So it's ridiculous <laughs> to villainize them now. Right. Like, Wait, okay, what? just say fine. Back then it was acceptable, but in today's age, why would you name your anything to do with your school? It's yeah. like calling your school after like your house is Joseph Goebbels and Heinrich Himmler and fucking um Ed Mengele. Yeah, like Hitler's Academy for Girls, and then someone's yeah. like, we're actually going to change the name. Be like, well, <laughs> that's political correctness gone mad, isn't it? <laughs> What's wrong with Hitler's academy for girls? Back when Hitler was alive, that was a perfectly respectable job, murdering everybody. But okay, fine, if you're doing respectful jobs, so would you call your houses doctor, lawyer, teacher as well? Like, I don't get it, I don't get whether whatever your opinion on them is. Why would you pick that name? One of the comments on it, which had like, because you can like upvote on the Daily Mail website as well, like it's a teenagers website and one of the comments on it said part of what's discussed in here is that so they've, they've changed the three houses to four houses and it said of the four of the four new houses only one of them is visibly white that shows you a lot about this country and like <laughs> hundreds, like i mean when i'm saying hundreds i mean about like five six hundred people had upvoted that comment right like, hang on but that would make worse if, if the school's majority of, like, black or brown people and they want to keep the slave trader names as their house names, that's even more fucked up. Wow. I, I mean, to be fair, I don't think anybody commenting on it actually had children at the school. It was just random racist mentalists. <laughs> like, what's the world come to that you don't want to call your school after a slave trader, but you'll happily call it after... Like, who, it was like... Is that your cat? ...about it as well. Um, he hates racists, which is one of the good things about him. <laughs> it's so funny, he's on the podcast. Yeah, it was like, why would you move the, the names of slave traders and replace them with poets and, like, human rights activists? Like, yeah. um, I think that question answers itself. Sad. Anyway, that was a random tangent. But I mean, you could happen. link it to Lost at Sea because, sadly, a lot of the slaves were just shoved overboard uh, because they were seen as property so a lot of, of the slave ships decided to just dump them for insurance purposes because they, they were they were worth more dead than alive at that point according to daily mail readers okay because that's just how you made money back then god's sake uh, <laughs> anyway christopher columbus he was a dickhead as well <laughs> in 1942, that racist fuck sailed through the Bermuda Triangle he reported seeing a small light out in the sea mm-hmm. which to be fair, because I'm dumb when I read that, I was like, well, that was obviously a tip. And then I remembered that that was the thing back then. It was a lighthouse, yeah. Um, so he saw a small light out in the middle of the sea. when he, Just after he spotted the light, all of the compasses on the ship shifted incorrectly by 11.5 degrees. They then returned to normal and shifted back incorrectly by 11.5 degrees and then the same again so basically the compasses were going haywire he said that although there was no wind it was a very very calm sail it was a very very calm sea 
just randomly like a large wave would hit the side of the ship and then there would just be no other waves for a couple of minutes so arguably that was just god trying to drown christopher columbus for being a fuckhead but it, it might have been the bermuda triangle well you're <laughs> saying that his, his compasses went mental that is quite a common thing for people who experience going through the bermuda triangle like particularly pilots and stuff that their their gps goes mental yeah most of the stories i looked at involve that Second one that I looked at, uh, which was probably my favourite one of all the ones that I looked at, and it doesn't, as far as I'm aware, have a racist in it, so that's good, was the story of the Ellen Austin in 1881, mm-hmm. um, who I assumed was like a sassy lady, but it was just a <laughs> chap. So again, sorely disappointed, but the Ellen Austin was an 1800 ton American ship. And in 1881, it was sailing through the Bermuda Triangle and it encountered another ship that was drifting. So some of the sailors from the Ellen Austin boarded the other ship, didn't have a name painted on it. So they just, we'll just call it the other ship. And when they boarded it, there was no people on the ship and there was no ship's log on board. But all of the food supplies, all of the cargo and all of the crew's possessions were still there. Things hadn't been like flung about. So it was not like the boat had sort of like capsized and then mm-hmm. like properly upended itself again. It, it didn't make any sense. There was just no people on it and there was no log. So they didn't know who the ship belonged to or where anyone had gone. So the crew of the Ellen Austin took their spare log book onto this other ship and a group of Ellen Austin's men crewed the second ship and they began to sail alongside the Ellen Austin so that both ships were heading to the same place. A second group of men, oh sorry, I've just skipped randomly forward in the story, and then some other men did something. As they were sailing through the night into the next day, the second ship began to drift and so when it began to drift, uh, they managed to sort of hook it back into their ship again and a second group of men from the Ellen Austin then boarded the ship to see what was going on with the crew that were on there and they found that once again it was completely empty of all people Okay. All the women from the Ellen Austin that had boarded the second ship were no longer there. That's and weird. <laughs> the ship's log, the, the one they'd replaced, was gone again. Again, oh, there was nothing weird. wrong with the ship. Just all of the people on the log were gone. If I was those guys, I'd be like, get me the fuck off this ship right now. Yeah, the last mm-hmm. bit of the story confuses me the most because okay. I've been like, so I'm not standing on this anymore. So <laughs> the second group that had boarded it agreed to sail the boat alongside the Ellen Austin. But soon the ships were separated again. A thick fog rolled over both ships and it was so thick that they couldn't see, like you couldn't see your hand in front of your face. And when the fog cleared, the other ship, the second ship was gone. Now the crew of the Ellen Austin assumed that the other crewmen would sail it to the same point because they were all expert sailors and they would meet up there. But this second ship never rematerialized. That's so weird. Do you think it sank? I don't know. I mean, you'd see it sinking. Like, no, it was fog, so you nobody saw a fuck all. Would you not hear it, maybe? Like, yeah, surely you would hear the other crewmen, like... Yeah, you'd hmm. hear the And also, if it sank, that doesn't explain the first two complete disappearances of all people on it. Yeah, mm. that's true. That's really weird. Yeah, it's such mm. a... Weird... Have you got any theories? Has anyone got any theories? Or apart besides aliens? Um, I'll come to the <laughs> I'll come to the theories, so I've got, like... Okay. It sounds similar to the Mary Celeste. Yeah, really similar. Okay. I've got like two other like much shorter stories and then right. I'll do a couple of theories on what might explain all of them. Yeah. So the next one I looked at was uh, one of the really famous Bermuda Triangle stories, so the story of Flight 19. I Again, I started this very confused because Flight 19 was five US Navy bombers. So apparently like the, the group of like planes that you flew with during, like if you're in the Navy yeah. or the RAF, that, that's mm-hmm. like a flight. So the flight is the group of them. I feel like I'm over explaining that. But yeah, I think you are. <laughs> Yeah, because I was like, Flight 19 is clearly 
a plane, but no, it's five planes. Well, it could be flight of 19, like the, the troop. Oh, I don't know what you call it. Yeah, I think you're right. That is what it is. The five Navy bombers uh, were flying through the Bermuda Triangle. Each of the five planes had either two or three experienced personnel on the plane, although some of the planes did have uh, people who were training. Uh, this was in 1945, and the planes flew into the Bermuda Triangle, but none of the five of them ever returned. During the journey, Lieutenant C.C. Taylor radioed to let the base know that, like, as you said, Leslie, very common thing, that all of the compasses on all five planes were completely out mm-hmm. and so unable to work out, to basically position themselves. When they managed to position themselves, they found that they were, so they radioed in again and they were hundreds of miles off course, but less than an hour had passed since they were on course. So they, there was no way that they could have been hundreds of miles off course. And then, then that's what he just, he, he's, yeah, <laughs> He didn't have any races sailed through the Bermuda Triangle. What is, what is Matthew saying? Uh, he's upset because it's raining outside, and when it rains, he wants me to turn the rain off. And because <laughs> you need to contact this. one of those um, Beric witches. Apparently, they can try control the weather. Yeah, that's, that's what he thinks is going on, and he gets really upset about it. So he's just reincarnation of King James VI. <laughs> He keeps going between the window and me and just, like, crying. But I was saying this to Yaz earlier. If I open the window to let him out, he hisses at me and then cries even more because I'm letting the rain near him and he doesn't like rain. (laughs) So cute. (laughs) Yeah, so they radioed in this second time and found out that they were hundreds of miles off course. And they said that they managed to obviously, you know, recalibrate their compasses and they were now heading to where they were supposed to be heading. And then that was it. There was never any communication from any of the other five planes and none of them have ever been located. That's they never showed up. And they've not found them, like, maybe underwater? So what, nope. I suppose back then? Any wreckage of them. And again, I found this one an interesting one because yeah. there was five of them. So I was like, well, that's weird because, yeah, one of them could have plunged into the water. Just for all five yeah. of them. Yeah, it just doesn't make any sense. But makes me think, why them and not the other ones that went through it? Are they, why are they the chosen ones? I'm jealous. Like, why are they being beamed up to the Axis Mundi? Yeah, are they, moving going somewhere, are, they going are they going somewhere better or somewhere worse? Well, I've, I've got another one and then I've got a description from someone who's like, again, being in it and being back. So that gives us a kind of theory. So, but one second before I explain that one, I'm going to, to read while watering because I'm going to go over and open the window and see if that makes the cat stop crying. So the other story that I looked at was one of the more recent ones. Uh, so it happened in 2017. So wow. Jennifer Bloom, who was a wealthy businesswoman, her boyfriend, who was a pilot, and their children were flying on a private uh, plane to the Bahamas for Mother's Day. Ooh. And despite it being a really clear day, and, and this is the bit that I find interesting, the fact that the plane was seen coming into land in the Bahamas, so like the, like, I want to say, not flight attendants, the like, runway people. The <laughs> runway people at the airport flagged down the planes with their yeah. lights. Okay. So they saw them coming in and were like, oh, that's that private plane that's like, yeah. lands. And then they said it literally just disappeared out of the sky. Like it just wasn't there anymore. That's weird. And again, it never, that, that's it. No one's ever heard anything from... What about their family in that? Like, <laughs> can they just disappear? <laughs> Good question. No one has any answer. I mean, just... you think, what are the legalities of that? Because then, are they declared dead and then you can claim their estate? 
that's all I care about, obviously, if I was a member of their family. I don't know. I, I mean, I didn't look into this, but I know from random procedurals that I've watched yeah. on TV, you need to be missing a certain amount of time before you're declared dead, don't you? Yeah, I think so, yeah. Because that's what happened to the, the guy from the Manic Street Preachers. What was he called? Richie something? And yeah. That's it. Nobody ever found him. Um, oh. Nobody. They just declared him dead, like, a few years ago or something. Hey. Yeah. I mean, I think it's quite a long time, but I don't know exactly how long it is. Mm-hmm. The theories that people have for what's going on here, right. one of them is that it's a kind of, I don't know, like, little pocket dimension. Not the whole of the Bermuda Triangle, but, like, somewhere in the Bermuda Triangle, there's a little pocket dimension. So one guy who i didn't write down his name for some strange reason but him and his father were flying on his private plane through the bermuda triangle and he said that they were flying along and then they saw what he described as electric fog so he said it looked like a kind of low thick clouds and you could see the lightning through it Mm -hmm. they kind of flew to try and avoid it and as they did this all of his navigational equipment started to go mad yeah and there was a tunnel in the middle of this cloud of electric fog. And he mm. said that basically the plane, he he couldn't control the plane anymore. It started to get pulled into the tunnel. Oh, my God. They entered the tunnel and there was all of a sudden a complete absence of gravity in the plane. Like they were both sort of... Seated. What, they were flowing? Like yeah, they were in space? They were both... They, yeah, like they were in space. So they both felt like there were seatbelts, but they could feel themselves floating up out of their chairs. It was just the seatbelts holding them in. And then oh, they had on the plane, like, you know, their sort of travel cups and stuff, started mm-hmm. floating about in the cockpit. I'd be freaking out. Yep. It's mental. They also said that they seemed to basically lose a great deal of time. So they came out of the other side of the cloud and were effectively, like, almost at their destination. Um, they landed about 20 minutes after that. But he said that basically it had somehow cut, again, like the flight, the like five planes that got lost that had radioed in first that said they didn't understand how they'd gotten so far away in such a short amount of time. It was a similar issue for him that he said that basically his flight should have took like many hours longer than it did. And he didn't understand how they were suddenly at their destination. Do you think it's like lots of like not one slit, but lots of little slits and like time and dimension? So... There's people that go in but then pop out because they find another slot to get out of. But there's that makes sense. In, but they can't find a way out and they're just lost in them. That's horrific. Imagine all these people just like boats, planes, just, just, and maybe for them it's like just like yesterday, like just like the same time that when they went in. But for us it's like 50 years or maybe forever. They're, maybe they're all chilling together as well. Imagine they, 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 one day they'd actually pop back out. What would you do? I feel like that's what kind of terrified me about it that's because scary. everybody describes this like thick fog, but nobody ever seems to see any land. So it's mm-hmm. like you're Stuck. in a gravity gravityless sea with fog, and that's it. Like, yeah. So I imagine if you don't find your way out fairly quickly, you'll just die. die. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's quite freaky. But then, are they, are they, obviously, the humans will die. So, what are there just like skeletons and planes floating okay. about in this dimension somewhere? Fuck me. And animals and stuff as well. Do you think that you could like enter it, but like sort of tether yourself to this world? Like, if somebody could somehow locate one of these like invisible entrances to it, you could tether yourself and like go in and have a squatch about and then go <laughs> back out. Go it out. makes me of 
like Ant-Man and the Wasp, because you know, the like quantum realm, and you can yeah. get stuck down there, and you need to send someone else in, but then you might get stuck as well, because it's so small and difficult to find anywhere. So you saw kind of like that sort of situation where you sort of like tie a rope to something and then hope that you can pull it back out, like sort of like Poltergeist. <laughs> Like tug on it and you're yeah. like, come and get someone. Well, that's what they do in Portugal. She froze, she froze like the mum into the, the portal in her child's bedroom on a rope, and she has to go in and find her child, and then they have to pull her back out through the other portal, which lands in her kitchen. <laughs> I mean, I would be. No, that Like, because I know how to fly a plane, but I would be up for like giving it a bash. I think it would be interesting. Um, so that's one of the explanations is that it's some sort of like, yeah, mm-hmm. bubble reality. The other explanations that have been offered, one of the common ones that people used to get in the past was that it was giant sea creatures, which I don't really get. Because no. I am all the no. companies go mad and lights at sea and electric fog. Nah. And the I think it's something to do with an electromagnetic pulse or field mm-hmm. that that's why all the equipment sort of goes, it affects the magnetics or whatever. The electronics. Well, one of the other explanations, which I, again is, I find that one quite convincing as well, is that it's due to methane ice gas explosions. So methane ice, which can exist under the sea, mm. like as the temperature of the planet goes up and goes down, will become more or less frozen, even though it's at the bottom of the ocean. Now, since the sort of industrial revolution, obviously the amount of global warming that we, humanity, have caused has gone up and up and up and up. Unless, again, you're a Daily Mail reader, in which case apparently it's fine. But (laughs) most of us, that's not the case. And it means that the methane gas would be melting at a much more rapid rate than it normally would. Now, this is the bit where I don't understand what's going on anymore. I feel like my explanation was quite good up until then. So from what I was looking at, and I don't really understand how this is the case, but if it melts too rapidly, it can cause atmospheric and electromagnetic anomalies. So it actually can cause there to be like a massive magnetic pull, mm-hmm. which would, you know, cause planes to drop rapidly or cause ships to be pulled into the sea. It would cause any equipment, including compasses, to go mad. Um, it cause... But it doesn't explain, like, I get like if, if it pulls ships down into the sea, but it doesn't explain that ship where the people just disappeared. It's not like they sank through the floor. Yeah. Yeah. To be fair, it doesn't, that's the one bit that it doesn't Mm. really explain, but everything else offers an explanation for. Even the weird clouds full of electricity because the methane would be released in like bubbles from the sea. So as it rose up onto the surface of the sea, it would be a thick gas. And because it has electromagnetic properties, it is actually possible that it could trap lightning effectively in it. So this is the farting. That's what you're bringing up. <laughs> yes, that's exactly what I'm Some people think it's the sea having a, a bit of a fart. <laughs> and then the final explanation, as you already brought up, Leslie, which I, again, much like the sea creatures, I don't really get, is mm. quite a lot of people, especially off the coast of Miami, seem to believe it's UFOs. Don't really know why. Basically, just based on the sort of some of the sightings have reported there being a light and some of the sightings have reported equipment going haywire. And yeah, but that's the electric magnetic field. I don't think that's anything to do with the UFOs. Yeah, I don't think it has anything to do with UFOs either. So, yeah, I'm not convinced by UFOs. I'm not convinced by giant sea creatures. I think it's either the like effects of global warming or it's the little sort of pocket dimensions. And I'd prefer to think it's the pocket dimension because that's cover. Yeah, it's- how far are you in the X-Files? Because there was an episode in the X-Files where 
they came across yeah. a ghost ship in the Bermuda Triangle and it was like a World War II mm-hmm. ship or something and then for some reason they were in it and Jelly Nan like Scully was like his she girlfriend or like, something like, what? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. but no I finished the X-Files like last right. year and yeah, yeah that I was looking at for this, but then I realised that you you guys are doing like Bermuda Triangle and like a ship as well. So I was like, nah. But I loved that episode so much. Yeah, the way it was filmed was all like really, really old fashioned as well when they were on that ship. It was brilliant. Um, but yeah, everyone in it like so that's in his dream. But and that leads me into like ghost ships. So mm. <laughs> the famous ghost ship that everyone's maybe familiar with is the Marie Celeste, whereby an I think when was that so the Marie Celeste is like a famous myth or it's not a myth well it's true and the 7th of November 1872 the brig Marie Celeste left New York carrying more than 1,700 barrels of raw alcohol she was found adrift on the 5th December 500 miles off the coast of Gibraltar sailors who boarded the ship found that abandoned the only sloop was gone to this day, the fate of the crew of the Mary Celeste is unknown. So they went on this ship. They looked as though that they'd left in a hurry or something because the food was still there, uneaten. It was all set up on the table, like they were ready to sit down for dinner. Yes. And yeah, and there was no sign of any like violence or anything like that. There was no sign of anyone rushing about in a panic. There was none of the the, um, the vessels on the ship, like if they had any rafts were used. So it was like they just vanished out of thin air. Nobody knows like where they went. It says here that there was a theory that the crew feared an explosion and left the ship in a hurry because the barrels of raw alcohol were damaged in a storm and toxic fumes were dispersed. But again, there's no evidence of what, where they went. They didn't just jump overboard. <laughs> How many people are in the ship? And would there have been enough like, boats for them? Like, um, like, I don't know. I can't, it doesn't really go into that detail, but um, I mean, I would imagine that every ship has some sort of, like, even in, back in the pirate days, they would have, like, life vessels or life rafts, some sort of raft, yeah. like, you think of Mutiny on the Bounty, that happened, and they put, they basically got rid of the, the captain and some of his crew members, and they put them on a little boat, and they basically put them overboard. Surely to go robot. The little boats, yeah. Like unless, based, uh, like back then, the only abandoned ships if the ship was literally like, mm-hmm. like semi sunk yeah. already. Yeah, would exactly. Be like in the middle of dinner and just be like, oh no, a big wave set, let's abandon ship. Well, but even then, if they thought that it was going to explode with the alcohol fumes or something, then surely they would just row away and, and check it. And if nothing explodes, then they would just come back to the ship. And they'd but, write it in the log as well. Like the, yeah, the there was nothing in the log about that. So it was just mm-hmm. a theory. So this um, Mary Celeste seems to have inspired, well, I don't know whether it has, but I'll get to that. There's a similar story called the Orang Medan, and it's a ship that was supposedly crewed by, it was a Dutch merchant vessel, and there was a story that came out in 1948 in a Dutch weekly newspaper, and it printed the article which was headlined, Mysterious Demise of the Orang Medan. said on the headline, it said, A riddle of the sea since the mutiny on the bounty and the downfall of Titanic very dramatic an incident as unexplained and inexplicable as the tragedy of the orang medan the great cargo ship which was found unharmed in the pacific ocean with dead crew the only authentic eyewitness account of this mysterious catastrophe falls here but no explanation can be given the solution to the riddle is unknown to anyone so the story is that there was a an italian vessel 
somewhere that was like hanging about and they received um a signal it was like 400 nautical miles southeast southeast of the marshall islands i'm not really sure where that is i think it's near papua new guinea possibly in mid-june 1947 it received a radio message and an sos signal from this orang medan it immediately changed course and headed to the location given in the message but then contact was suddenly lost so they said we received another confused sequence of dots and dashes as if the hand of the radio operator in his death rows still hammered the morse key only three words came through intact i am dying or i die creepy (laughs) so the next day the ship reached the location where the orangutan was drifting and apparently there was no sign of life in it a small group of sailors including the narrator of this day article decided to inspect the ship and climb the board so they encountered a scene what they describe as from a nightmare they said there were corpses everywhere and the most terrible thing was the spasmodic postures of the dead their faces they were lying upright apparently some of them were face down but some of them were upright um their faces expressing an terrible fear their mouths and eyes wide open as if they had died from sheer horror that's an episode of exiles doesn't it so they were like what the fuck happened like there was no there was no blood anywhere there was no signs of violence eventually they located the dead radio operator which brought them to the ship he was still wearing his headphone set its wires moved slowly with the sluggish movement of the ship we looked at him for a long time his fingers squeezed together into a fist could have revealed the mystery to us uh, what had happened what horror had killed the 22 people on board the ship what had ended their lives without spilling a single drop of blood but they, they couldn't investigate any further because suddenly a fire broke out and they had to immediately abandon the ship and then later on apparently well several stories later on said it, it exploded in a big fireball but according to this story it would just it they just watched as it slowly sort of burnt and then eventually sank that's so weird yeah <laughs> properly creepy it is really creepy and it's fascinated a lot of people yeah like that but here's the thing there's no registered in the the sort of insurance lloyd's insurance or wherever they register ship there's no or maritime records there's no actual register of an orang medan actually existing like no one's found it people people say that well orang is a sumatran word so maybe it was registered there and you just can't find records of it but Mm. i don't know There's a photograph showing a dead naval officer, which I'll I'll send to you guys. And looking at it, it is just like a man and he's lying on his side. So you can't see his face. So his face not upright. And his hat is like sat. His hat is next to his head and he's clutching a pair of binoculars, like the, the strap of the binoculars. He's sort of holding on to that. But you can't see his face. He's sort of lying face down. And that was apparently printed. That was printed along with this article. So apparently, like, you know, the people who boarded the ship took some photographs, as you would. But that's the only one they had of the dead per- dead people. And the author of the article was called Silvio Scarly. And he came from a, a town in Italy called Trieste. And he vouched for the authenticity of the story. Apparently, he said that it would, there was a survivor from the death ship, a, Frances, a Franciscan missionary from Tayongi Atoll, part of the Marshall Islands. He reported that a shipwrecked man had washed ashore there 
before he died a few days later, he told clergymen about mysterious documents, captain of ill repute, and a cargo of some 15,000 crates ferried from an obscure Chinese port. The Orang Medan had set out on a covert voyage, far from well-traveled traverse shipping lanes, but on the 15th day, a disaster had unfolded and its crew members had dropped dead with expression of horrors on their faces. Um, but conveniently, this guy had died and he was buried on this tropical island. Apparently, he was a German guy. Surely you'd so, press him for more information as well if he was like, and something horrific <laughs> happened, and then was like, anyway, I'm just, just going to go over here now. Like, you know, come well, well, there is what? more, because it said um, there was a third and final instalment of this article, and the car- castaway revealed the contents of the documents. So he said, my suspicions, which had been aroused in me for days, had been true. We were transporting 15,000 cases and drums of sulfuric acid, nitroglycerin, in liquid form and other chemicals, the name of which has escaped me. There was a note at the bottom of the list. The liquid nitroglycerin must not be added to the sulfuric acid. It was advisable to load the various goods into different holds. The packaging was not intended for transport by sea. The swaying yeah, of the ship caused a number... What? That would be explosive, I think. Yeah, well, that's what he's saying. He's saying that mm. the, the swaying of the barrels caused, caused the sulfuric acid to rupture and the deadly vapours to escape, and that's what he thinks that killed the crew. That makes sense, actually. Yeah, that does make sense. And then when they eventually seeped through into the other barrels, that was the explosion. Yeah. So he said that he wasn't allowed to reveal the, which I find convenient as well. He wasn't allowed to reveal this guy's name, this eyewitness, um, but he, and he was buried in a, a by the old palm in the cemetery behind the missionary building. That was it. And then it said that. Well, people started saying that, well, what is this? Was it because it was near World War Two or just after that? But the weird thing is that this story, like this story took place in 1947. That's when they said that they found this ship. But there was this guy who'd been looking into it for like 30 years. There was an English author and 14 times contributor, Roy Bainton. Now, this is where I have discovered this whole thing about the Orangutan because I'd never heard of it. I'd heard of them at Marie Celeste. But I get the 14 times magazine. And they had an article all about this, this story. And this guy, Roy Bainton, said that he'd been researching this for 30 years, trying to explain the phenomena of this story without success. But he searched fruitlessly through Lloyd's shipping register and he visited the shipping registers in Amsterdam. But again, he couldn't find anything that showed that, you know, proved that this ship actually existed. And he also said that he became acquainted with a German researcher, Theodor Seerdorfer, from the city of Essen, who was even more obsessed with the strange fate of the ship. And he confessed that he'd been tirelessly working on the riddle for 45 years. Okay, it's not a competition, me. <laughs> <laughs> Such a waste of time. And all that time, he'd found not a single trace of his existence. As recently as 2014, the Orang Medan resurfaced in a Russian magazine published in St. Petersburg. According to Russian researcher Mikhail Gerstein, the tale has been well known in former Soviet Union since the 1960s and has been mentioned in many Soviet magazines and books, blah, blah, blah. And it was used in plot lines for movies and stuff. Just last year, the story was retold in a German nautical magazine, which has different details about it because they gave the castaway a name. So they've embellished things over time, like people started coming up with new theories, different like adding more and more things to the story that weren't weren't there before but the weird thing is the story was actually reported the same thing like eight years previously in 19 seven years previously or eight years previously in 1939 or 1940 so in 1940 world war ii is raging and the netherlands yes the netherlands belgium and part of france are occupied 
and groaning under the Nazi regime. In Vichy France, the magazine Seven Jours, um, I guess that means seven hours maybe, or seven days, Jours? Um, yeah, Jours day. Yeah. Still appears every week, filled with lighthearted gossip, no doubt approved by Nazi censors, because Nazis were running France at that time. The 29th of December, the story of the Rang Madan turns up in its pages, complete with a photo of the same dead officer that was published eight years later in the Dutch Weekly. So hmm. what's that all about then? The article is without an author's name, Nine months later, on the 7th of September 1941, the same magazine prints the conclusion in its bedsheet-sized pages. The mystery of the Orang Madan is solved, it proclaims. Again, we encounter differing details. The most notable one is that the death ship wasn't found in June 1947, but nearly a decade earlier, on the 13th of November 1939, and it wasn't found by an anonymous Italian ship, or, as they claimed, in some stories, a silver star, like an American steamer. But they said it was discovered by an American destroyer. So eight years before it appeared in the Dutch Weekly, the story had already been widely circulated. In December 1940, an Italian newspaper carried the story. Now, we think, I, they think that it's by the same guy who came up with the story in 1947. That's the guy called Silvio Galeri. And they think that he maybe made it up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> made up i don't know why i just think it's, it's think it's true? yeah i think yeah. it's like quite believable yeah do you think maybe he thinks well the i i don't he know if the original story and it was true but he kept making money off of it because it would be easier to sell as he went to a different country if well that's the theory it just happened they think, they it think just that, well they think that like eight years later then nobody would really remember the story he printed in 1940 yeah. so he's coming out in 1947 like this is a new thing like it recently happened but because you'll make more money off of it that way possibly <laughs> because then it's like sensational if it's just happened whereas if you're like yeah otherwise it's almost kind of like a historical story and that's going to sell less yeah, possibly, because it says here, an Italian newspaper named Piccolo di Trieste, the city where Silvio Scaleri, author of the 1947 Dutch story, lived. So someone contacted the staff of the library and archives in Trieste, who located a copy of the edition that carried the story. The incredible tale is printed on the third page of the paper, ironically resembling the layout of the Dutch Weekly. Similar, similar layout, whatever, that he printed in this Dutch paper. He must have sold it to them. They started the whole post-war global dissemination of this story. Again, it's the same photos of the dead naval officer and a ship keeling over on its side appear under the heading El Mysterio del Rang Madan. The story also carries the name of its author, Silvio Shell Scaleri. But what he writes back then is the same, but with differing details. So it marks the first time that the final voyage of the Rang Madan appeared in print. And in the first article, we read that it was not an unnamed Italian vessel, the steamer Silver Star, or or an American destroyer that found a doomed ship. Instead, it was the American torpedo boat. So it keeps changing. Um, W716. This should have been even enough to establish, but in response to the question, in response to the question, the US Coast Guard informed that no torpedo boat, yeah, this is it. So there wasn't even a torpedo boat named W716, operational 1939, and that particular type of coding was not even in use at the time. So what people think is that he crafted a template attracted enough to resell to different newspapers and magazines for eight long years, and along the way he altered decisive and crucial details to fit the time frame, such as ships that came to the rescue and what year the Orang Madan was found. And if editors expressed their doubts, Galeri was quick to assure them that his story was the real deal. <laughs> It sounds like something that happened in real life, and he's just taken it and changed it. Just, just well, to the fact that he's he's came across the story of the Ma- Ma- Mary Celeste 
and then embellished that and made up a sort of more modern version of it. And so because there's a photograph of the dead sailor that I mentioned on the ship. And what they've said is, well, what about the photographs? So they've said in this article that it seems illogical to take a photo camera along on a 1930s rescue mission to board a ship in distress. And the photos don't really tell as much. There are certainly atmospheric set pieces to illustrate the story, but they lack conclusive identifiers because he's he's actually face down. So you're not seeing his head or his face. So you can't oh, yeah. identify the guy. And also it said he could easily have staged the photograph of the dead naval officer on board any ship because Trieste is a large port city. And since the war was raging back in 1940 or 39, he could have obtained a photo of a keeling ship through other channels. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. I tend to think it's an amazing story, and people still like if you look it up out with that like fourteen times because I checked to see if there was any other like articles about it, and it's basically like you know from the Sun or the Mirror, or the Daily Mail, and all that shit, and they just are Ripley's Believe It or Not, where they print it as this is a mystery and it actually happened, and what what could it be? But nobody really talks about this this journalist guy. <laughs> So I, I sadly think it is a hoax. I don't think it's real. I think it's real. <laughs> Even though it's your story. <laughs> and you you don't have... done something real. Yeah. Well, I think like his initial story was real and then the reason it keeps showing up is just because he can make more money off of it. But I don't think that it's... <laughs> and then other people like are taking false. that story because some people were writing novels about it and then even making films, like they said, about the Russians. So it just sort of like spiralled from there. But other people are saying that some people thought that, again, it was aliens. It's always aliens. Someone's people in the 50s, when this story came about again in the 1950s, some people wrote in to the, the, the US government or something and said, well, could it have been aliens that did it? Because, you know, mm. in the 50s, everyone was mad for UFOs mm. and flying saucers and stuff and probably the Bermuda mm-hmm. Triangle and all that. And other people have said that, oh, well, you say it's a hoax, but maybe it was a cover up because this ship and maybe that's the reason why it's not registered and you can't find it because it was actually like um, some sort of covert ship that was doing a mission in World War II and it was trying to transport like biological weapons across. That sounds more realistic that you must have had loads of like unregistered ships like you say because of the war Mm -hmm. and then probably did have chemicals on it and it yeah fucked them up because it's like a deathly killer isn't it something's leaking yeah and you would think think that someone like they obviously these sailors on the ship have families and that unless they were told to be silent about it and not to talk about what their husbands or sons were up to Mm -hmm. then you'd think that some people would be like well yeah that was my son he was on that ship or i I never saw him again or yeah fair point actually like where are they no but the government can like pay you off to just shut up you're such a conspiracy theorist, aren't you? Yeah. No, Yaz is right. I mean, bloody well, like, Ryan Giggs paid off that. Uh, <laughs> what's her, like, Imogen woman that's a model to, like, oh, he yeah. basically paid her I to remember. be like, if you ever say that we were shagging for a bit, then you can oh, go yeah. to jail. So I'm pretty sure if the, the courts protect, like, footballers' affairs, then they'll protect government's murders. Yeah, but there's a thing that sort of, makes me suspicious as a photograph because why would you take it's not like nowadays where you can anyone can take pictures on your phone and stuff i don't think someone would take a, a wee camera all of us oh but hang on i better get my camera on this this um, ship so i can take pictures of all these dead people it's not easy to take pictures back then but it might not have been from that particular ship right it could have been from anything yeah that's true i don't know but it intrigues me and if, if it did sink then there must be a shipwreck somewhere in that location 
can't just be gone. Someone must be able to find it, but no one has. The, the government had it. Uh, okay. <laughs> We're not getting this gone. Okay. The government have it in a wee box under their bed. I'm gonna, get, I'm gonna, um, yeah, I'm gonna get taken away by the government, aren't I? I'm gonna get silent. <laughs> Well, yeah, that was the story. I mean, I don't know if they're saying there's probably more famous ghost ships out there, like the Flying Dutchman, unless that's just a myth. I don't know. Is it? That's pirate thing. Yeah, I think that's pirates. I think that's just a story, right? I don't know. Look into it later. I'll leave that one for our listeners to look into. Yeah, I mean, there's probably loads of stories about like ghost ships that appear. I mean, there's stories about ghost trains. There's stories about ghost cars. So I think that weird. I mean, what is that all about? Is it like an echo or something, a recording that people are picking up? Or how can an object be a ghost? Something like leftover energy. Yeah, maybe. For the last. (laughs) (laughs) When you, like, look at... So there are the mysterious things about the sea. I mean, there's loads of mysterious things about the sea. I mean, I think the sea, a lot of the sea and the oceans across the world are being unexplored. Like, the Mm. moon's been explored more than... Yeah, some of the sea. So a lot of it's still a mystery to a lot of us. You don't know what's lurking down there. Could yeah. be Atlantis. For all we know, that's another one. Apparently a city that was lost at sea. So yeah. when you get to it, like, there's people that can be adrift at sea. There could be people right now drifting about in the sea. Lost. Yeah, I um, find that terrifying. Yeah, I think that's scary. It's just, if you got, because I love being in the sea. Like, I absolutely love it. But there is I something think. really scary about it. Yeah. So if you got lost at sea, how long would you think you'd survive? And imagine there's nothing for miles and miles around. It's just you and the sharks. Kind of like being in a desert, but it's really wet. Because there's still, there's no food, there's no water yeah. that you can drink. There's things under you if you're in a boat that could eat you and kill you. How long would you actually survive? I think I'd survive like 12 hours. <laughs> <laughs> like, I mean, I read stories where people were um, adrift at sea for months on end or even up to a year and some of them just gave up and starved to death and then they just got flung overboard and some of them started drinking seawater so that made them go mental and they just started hallucinating and actually jumped overboard and got eaten by sharks. Yeah I actually read a lot of stories like that when I was looking into this and it was just so I'm actually going to do the, the Life of Patty. Most, most of the book probably people have seen the film but this book I read this when I was in first year uni and I absolutely loved it and it's always like stayed with me always yeah it's pretty bad isn't it like when you go stuck with the animals and then they all started eating each other because I thought oh we could eat the animals couldn't you <laughs> oh, well yeah you guys have like all three of you've read it before yeah so but detail but yeah just for me people that have it is uh-huh. it's a boy and he's in India and his family own a zoo they're going to basically move it to the states yeah. So the way to go back then was to go on a ship. So they've got all the animals they're on the ship and then the ship sinks. So we boy Pai, he ends up in a boat with a tiger, hyena, monk, an orangutan and a zebra. A zebra, yeah. Yeah. And like, see, to be honest, the first part of the book is all about his life and stuff. And I think being in uni as well, I just, to me, like, that's when we first left his school ride. <laughs> when we first left <laughs> and like, saw the rest of the world and went to Glasgow and stuff. And it was just, I was so fascinated about how he was like pondering on life. And this whole book, I just see it as someone pondering on their life. It's like, yeah, he's 
Lost at Sea, but I was just I absolutely loved this book. But yeah, so he's stuck on the boat. He's there's all there's this horrible part where the the tiger comes out and he eats the hyena. Uh, oh no, wait, actually, I can't remember the actual order of it. But like the animals basically. I think the zebra had like a broken leg or something, so that yeah, was. Yeah, does the hyena drag the zebra away? I have like that embedded in my mind as being horrific. Yeah, so that's the thing. In my head, it was so nasty. Even like I've seen the film as well, but I remember even reading the book. It proper like traumatized me. Yeah, it was horrible. <laughs> Like basically the animals were eating each other and he was there at the mercy of all these animals as well and he's a little boy that's the thing he's not even like a grown man he has a wee boy he's like 14 in it mm-hmm. um, and then so it's got the whole journey of how he lives on this book see eventually the the tiger either eats them so it's just him and the tiger at the end or through the most of the journey so now so forget just surviving at sea you're now surviving at sea on oh, a boat with a tiger and tiger and shark yeah so like and it's just he's so clever and so resourceful that he he builds like a tiny little raft like hanging off of the boat so he can basically sleep on there without the tiger eating him at night time but then obviously he comes from a zoo so he he almost knows how to train the tiger to like keep him away from him um so he's like a proper clever wee boy but i still like i would not survive two minutes in that I really wouldn't. No. But he uses no all... You'd be great. <laughs> but no. I'd be the first eaten by the tiger, to be honest. <laughs> I would probably like, just be so terrified that I would start squealing and I don't know. I mean, would you stare? Would you jump Would you jump overboard? I'd try and kill the tiger. But it's bigger than you. Way yeah, bigger. So you couldn't win a fight with the tiger. Well, you maybe try and fashion some sort of harpoon or something and then stab the tiger in the face. I don't know what I'd do because tigers can swim. So I'd be like, yeah, I, I feel like if I threw myself overboard, I know that a tiger is a more powerful swimmer than me. So I could just jump in the water and kill me there. <laughs> and then you'd be bleeding so the sharks will get you. So part of his training with the tiger is, I find this really funny, that he pees on his side of the boat. So that's like marking his territory. And then he catches fish to feed the tiger. So then, because the tiger doesn't really like water, actually, even though they can swim, they don't like water. So he catches fish and feeds them. So it's kind of like, that's, how he builds his trust with them that at least he's like if he keeps the tiger fed then it won't be interested in him well yeah right. but then the part i was even found being a bit shame was like the tiger gets dehydrated as well so the tiger gets seasickness and he's all dizzy and he feels crap um and then cause it, it's just a wee shame i know it's a big crazy tiger but it's still a shame and he like sort of gets water for him as well <gasps> the tiger was called richard parker Local Richard Parker. <laughs> I was going to ask you. <laughs> yeah, it's a really, name. Brilliant name for a tiger. And then throughout the story, he's either pondering life, pondering like what's going to go on. And the thing is, he's stuck out there for 270 days, which wow. is mental. Like, I can't, I can't even comprehend that. Like, we're all stuck in lockdown. Like, I know we're talking to each other, but he would have been stuck out there with nobody. Like, yeah, absolutely. and there would be storms and stuff as well, which would be horrific and... Yeah. You're the mercy of the, the, the sea. So, I don't know. Yeah, it takes a lot of strength to survive that long. Yeah. Because most cause people would go insane and just give up. That's the thing. So, he built all these little contraptions, like things to like catch rainwater so he can drink it. And then he was also eating the fish so he could survive on that. But even trying to catch a fish, like, I mean, I'm pretty sure I can catch a fish, like, really. Um, like, And that's how he survived. But it's it's interesting what you're saying about how he would go insane, because towards the end of the book, or at the end of the book, when he is rescued, and like, the wee guys come to, like, interview him, and he tells them this whole story with the tiger and all this, and they're like, yeah, that's ridiculous, that doesn't happen. And he tells them a second story of almost the same story, but, like, the tiger is 
the chef that was on the boat, the zebra was like his mum. It was all people mm. that were, which makes it all a bit more fucked up because then that people eating each other as well. And you're left at the end of it thinking, well, which is right. And he asks the interviewers, he was like, well, which story did you like more? And they went, well, we like the one with the tiger. And he's like, well, there you go then. But I just always remember that the end of the book, and I was like, what? <laughs> I was like, no, you can't, you can't just leave it like that. Not like not telling me which one's true because I feel like if it was people, then it's so it's like dark. it's like at the end that pissed. I know this might not seem well. It's not really related to being lost at sea, but it's related to what you were saying about the book. Is that in the Wizard of Oz, like with the Judy Garland film, like at the end of that, when she goes back and she wakes up in Kansas, she's clicked her way home, that she wakes up to find like all the people that she, yeah, like the people who are like the farmhands and her relatives were all actually like the Tin Man, the Lion. And you're like, oh, was that all a dream then? I've never really thought of the comparison between it and the Wizard of Oz, but yeah, they are actually quite similar. Mm-hmm. I freaking hate it when stuff ends like that. We're like, oh, it's still a dream, and you're just dreaming about the people you know when they were just in your thing. And I was like, no, like I want this to be true because it's such. I don't know. I feel like yeah, I felt so the same way. Yeah, so I did as well. I wanted mm-hmm. it to be true, and then the tiger just wanders off on the island that he ends up in. There's just a random tiger there. And- <laughs> well, yeah, there's like the crazy island that they end up on where it's like a man-eating island. Mm. Oh, I forgot about that, actually. That really freaked me out because it's this beautiful island and he thought, oh, I can just stay here rather than being at sea. And he was swimming. It was actually eating it. At night time, it changes and eats everything. And when it starts to get dark, all the animals like are like running away and he's like, what the hell is this? It's really fucked up. And then he like, realizes it's like a man-eating island proper messed up yeah is um, that i think there's bits in it as well like that where is that supposed to be a metaphor for something or i don't know or does he, does, does he literally land away? on a carnivorous island like but i mean you could technically have a carnivorous island because like there could be there's lots of fucked up things out there in the sea that nobody knows about yeah if it's like because you get like you know those plants that eat um like bugs and stuff and it's just mm-hmm. got acid that, yeah so it could be the whole island at night time it just changes so it becomes acidic and just eats into anything so it's not like physically eating like a person it's just dissolving everything that's there so I kind of I feel like that could be real but and then there was a myth that we talked about um, in a previous podcast where sailors would see like islands and they would go on it but apparently it was actually just the back of a whale that had grown like trees on it and stuff because it was so massive what like a dead whale it was just no it was no it was alive but it was just like so massive that things started growing on its back and it would just swim about yeah like a giant moving island that's really weird. But like, I feel like if the story was people and not the animals, then it's just really, really nasty because yeah, it's where they're eating each other. And I think like I can't remember if he eats a part of the zebra or what he he does eat a part of one of them. So mm. it's like that thing going to the whole survival thing of if you were stuck somewhere and someone died, would you start eating them because there's sure there was a story I read where it was like somewhere someone had gone adrift to, to a fisherman I think they were Mexican and they got caught in a storm it was him and another guy and he said that when he got rescued that the other guy he was with just ends up dying of starvation or whatever and he said well maybe I should keep his body for his family but after a while when it started rotting he said no I had to just shove it overboard but the boy's mm-hmm. family claimed that he ate him to survive which technically you probably could have no. there's no evidence he didn't but then if he'd eaten them like there'd be something wrong with him as well because if he eat human flesh it does affect you well, i don't know does it? i've seen in films i don't know yeah i mean <laughs> it does but i think it's like the 
it depends on the Mark volume of human flesh you eat. So, like, the, it's something to do with like the protein being too similar for us to process properly, and it does so something that's to your what brain. Made but mad cow disease because they were feeding yeah. cows to other cows. Yeah, um, but I think that's it because they were feeding cows to other cows, not because they fed mm. a cow to other cows. So, like, if you and I ate yas, that would be right. bad because we'd eaten yas. But if you and I ate yas and then our entire family and then some of our family members, we'd eventually start to have issues. Because but if it's, yeah, but if it's a case of between life, if it's a case between life and, like those people that crashed in the Andes, that rugby team or football team, and they ended up having to eat their friends to survive. To survive. It's really fucked How up. How fucked up that is. Yeah. Would you? Well, there was a guy who got, um, he was lost at sea and he said that he managed to survive by like catch, capturing sharks and fish and drinking their blood or birds <laughs> and drinking yeah. their bloods for for like yeah. liquids i feel like it's better than nothing but... yeah definitely so is there any like real life versions so, of pie so actually so there was like obviously the film that the book was written like back in 2000 or whatever but basically there was a guy that helped with making the film because he actually did get lost at sea um so there's a guy called Stephen Callahan, and he's um, an expert sailor. Um, and he actually builds his own boats and ships as well when he goes sailing around the world. So he built a boat called Napoleon Solo. And this was back in 1980. Um, he travelled all over the Atlantic. Sorry, he I started giggling there and couldn't stop because in my head I just thought Napoleon Solo could be the sequel to Napoleon Dynamite. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> Is that anybody involved in the story? I know it's reading where he sails around the world with Tina. Lava. <laughs> oh Tina, can I get some ham? <laughs> I love Napoleon Dynamite. It's weird, like, I've seen that film so many times. Like, not a lot of people know, like, about that film for some reason. Maybe the dance scene at the end, but, like, it's such a fucking weird film. It's, like, so brilliant, though. Anyway, carry on. That's okay. I I watched it probably four years ago, and, like, we were obsessed with it. And I even got my Napoleon Dynamite t-shirt. I've got for Pedro t-shirt. For Pedro. He got really hot, and he was in the bath, and he started shaving his head. <laughs> oh, not, not for years and to rewatch it. Callahan. So he's yeah. sailing around the world. Um he goes to Atlantic, he goes to Bermuda as well. Then he sets off to Europe. Um he goes to Cornwall and stuff randomly. And then he's on his way back to Antigua and he gets into trouble. And so it's about a week after he's left and he ends up in a storm. But basically his boat hit the bottom of what he thinks was a whale or a shark so basically the boat started sinking but he'd made this boat himself so he'd sort of cut all these different compartments into it so it sank really really slowly and all his emergency supplies were sort of in a sealed cabin or something mm-hmm. yeah like because again he's a bit of like a an inventor and stuff like that so he like pulls bits off the boat and he builds his own little oh no he's got a raft on the boat and he yeah. Sort of get them out so he's on the raft and then he starts diving going under just to get all the things these yeah, of course his boat and then he basically manages to live for 76 days what? as well so he's got like a handful of things he's got these supplies and stuff that he got from his boat um he's got some water he's got flares a spear gun and just like literally that's about it so he had to do the same as what was in life of pie where he just lived off of like sharks and getting water from the room and stuff like that and i'm like it's just it's mad like of course like the dehydration must get you so yeah. crazy i think i read about this like he he had all that shit in his boat right so you think oh brilliant i've got supplies 
But then a fucking storm came and washed all his food away, so he was fucked. So then he had to... Yeah, like, you haven't yeah. had days of The sea's yeah. a bitch, man. You're fine, because, like, you, you, can't, you can't get out. Like, that's yeah. it. Look in the middle of the ocean, that's it. You're stuck. It's there. actually terrifying. Like, deep bodies of water terrifying me. Like, if you see a picture of, like, the, the top of an iceberg, but then you see underneath it and how deep it is and how deep it goes, um, oh, terrifying. There's nothing to stop you sinking. Yeah. So if you're on, like, a really, really massive span of water, like, in the sea, mm. you can't see land at all, that freaks me out a bit. Yeah, I mean, because most of the time, like, most of the earth is just covered in ocean. And chances are, if you, like, if you're in a plane, you're going to crash into the sea, like the Malaysian Airlines. Um, A lot of plane crashes, you end up in the sea because pretty well, much that's where you're most... I mean, when you're on a plane, you're mm-hmm. constantly flying over the sea. Yeah. Not more. But then say you did crash and you're in the middle of the ocean and you do get a little life raft. What yeah. do you even start? Oh, fucking horrific like what do you do like that's um seen in jaws where he was talking about which actually did happen where it was all these soldiers in world war Two, and they i don't know crashed in the ocean or something something happened to their boat and they were all just floating around in their life rat like life jackets until eventually one by one of them were picked off by sharks at night Oof. horrendous god I mean, no, I, like, if you think it, about the Titanic as well, all the people, I mean, that was freezing waters. Yeah. They wouldn't last long, thank fuck. But, I mean, imagine, like, being alone and all, or you see all the, the robots, like, sail away from You're still alive, but then all the lifeboats are fucking going and you just know that no one's coming for you. It's horrible. I think that was almost more a blessing that it was so cold. Yeah. Died. I think that slow suffering of... It's worse, yeah. In hydration, then going mm-hmm. insane, and then, like... Yeah, definitely. Would well, not want to be lost at sea ever. That's that's mm-hmm. the thing. I'd rather fly than go on a boat or a cruise ship. I've seen fucking horrific things on cruise ships where they've been caught mm-hmm. in storms and you see all the tables and that just fly over from one side of the room. It's just not good. <laughs> no, it's just it's just very terrifying and but yeah, I definitely wouldn't last that many days. No, I don't think I could either, but then you never know. Like it really would be a true test of strength about how willing you are to live. I wouldn't even know what to do. Like, I don't know. Do your instincts kick in, I suppose? Like that guy who just grabbed a bird and drank its blood. You know, you've got to do everything you can. Birds? Try and catch fish. (laughs) How do you just grab a bird without it flying away? I don't know. I mean, (laughs) I mean, you're lucky if there's even birds around you if you're in the middle of the ocean. Exactly. (laughs) Red. Again, and also like lack of lost. nutrition as well. You get scurvy mm-hmm. if you're only eating certain things. Like just yeah. yeah. So this guy Stephen Callahan, obviously he was out there for 76 days, and apparently he was down to like a third of his body weight yeah. when they found, and that's what, like three months or so. It's crazy. He's he's one of the lucky ones to have been found because some people have been lost at sea and never found again. So and it didn't stop him. It still goes out on these. <laughs> of course not. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that was really interesting. I mean, there's so many interesting stories about the sea. Yeah. Um, a strange mistress, the sea. <laughs> a hard mistress. Yeah. I think uh, there was one that I wanted to just finish with because it's absolutely horrific. Right. Well, there's there's so many. Right. I would recommend if you want to look more about people who are lost at sea, there's um an article in the website popularmechanics.com called Nine Fortunate Fortunate Souls. Who survived being lost at sea? 
it's it's really good and it even gives you like a map of how like far they went and how long they drifted away for um i just want to find the one about the the shark so fucking yeah here it is right so it's just a quick one so it's the it's the story of brad kavanagh and deborah kiley when you look at the map it doesn't really look really that far it's quite close um close to the coastline really close to the coast yeah that, it's that, fucked up like maybe if you just can't see the coast and you start rolling away yeah i don't get it <laughs> have you ever been swimming in the sea abroad like and felt the pull of the ocean like just yeah. I mean, there was that story of that wee girl that they found. I don't know if anyone's seen it on YouTube, but it was a, like a ferry and it was just like cutting about. And then the next thing they, they spot what they think is an inflatable just floating about in the ocean. But then when they get closer to it, is there was a, a, there's a fucking five-year-old, six-year-old girl float like actually on the inflatable just floating in the middle of the sea and they oh. go and get her. I mean, because her parents didn't realise that she drifted off. Well, like, we went um, out to sea in Vietnam and me, Carol and Joe were all in the water at the same time and like I, yeah I, and it's so weird because we were right next to each other and i just started getting carried backwards fairly rapidly like not like i was being washed away by a wave it was weird it it felt like i was still like i wasn't moving at all and yet i was moving really rapidly away from them and i remember carol being like what are you doing and i was like <laughs> and i could I, no matter how hard i was trying to swim back towards them i just kept going further and further backwards it was yeah I mean, eventually I stopped, obviously, because I'm here talking to you guys just now. But for the short amount of time that it lasted, it was terrifying because I was like, I I, I couldn't stop myself from going out to sea. Oh, God, that is scary. I was was swimming in Greece and I, I... Usually I feel feel like I'm quite a strong swimmer, but I actually felt like I was weak as fuck in that sea and that I had no control over it. I had to eventually just float and hope that the waves just washed me back to the, the, the beach. And I was like, I ran out of the beach and I went to David, right, I'm not going back in there. That was too scary. <laughs> I felt like I was being dragged about by this, the waves and I, had, I couldn't fight against it. I couldn't swim against it to stop myself from like drifting off it was awful and the thought of drowning as well that yeah. really terrifies me like really, well really. back to this terrifying story um it happened and i loved it the fact that their their boat that they the yacht that they were on was called the trash man <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like from it's always sunny in philadelphia um so she was um deborah kiley was no stranger to the seas she had spent most of her life working as a crew member on yachts around, around the world she thought that signing up on the trash man in October of 1982 was just another job. It would turn out to be anything but the captain of the ship. <laughs> the captain of the ship was called John Lipoff and he brought his girlfriend Meg Mooney along for the ride. The two other crew members on the trip were Mark Adams and Brad Kavanagh. The plan was to take the yacht from Annapolis, is that Annapolis, Maryland, down to Florida to meet up with its owner. The first half of the trip was pretty smooth sailing. Although Kylie started noticing that things started to make her uneasy. This is so weird. Lipoff kept making excuses to go below deck and she soon realised that the captain was afraid of the ocean. What? (laughs) (laughs) What? So Lipoff and Adams also spent the entire voyage completely drunk. Of the five people on that yacht, only Kylie and um, Kavanagh were experienced, capable sailors. After the boat passed North Carolina, the trip took a turn for the worse. A massive storm appeared out of nowhere and Trashman headed right into the heart of it. 
this is what always happens. It's always a storm that fucks these people up. And uh, Kylie, recall, Kylie recalls wind speeds of over 70 knots and 40-foot waves so powerful they ripped holes in the boat. Two days after they set sail, the yacht, torn apart by the sea, began to sink. The crew managed to make it to a lifeboat, but not before Mooney was seriously injured by the ship's rigging suffering severe lacerations on her arms and leg. Her bleeding attracted sharks who followed the lifeboat for the remainder of the journey. The crew found themselves adrift with no supplies or water miles from land. Two days after the trash man sank, Lipoff and Adams, already dehydrated from alcohol and dying of thirst, began drinking seawater, which is a very bad idea. They started hallucinating and rambling incoherently. It's a bit like drinking your own piss in the desert. It's not it's not a wise decision. On the third day, Lipoff, in a state of delirium, jumped into the water and attempted to swim to shore. He was immediately attacked and killed by sharks. I don't know why. <laughs> that funny? <laughs> I don't know why, even though you said this is a story about sharks, that's not why I explained to <laughs> Soon Adams jumped overboard as well, muttering something about going to get some cigarettes. Isn't that the classic <laughs> thing? Like where a guy leaves his family and goes, I'm just going out for a pack of smokes and then never comes back. <laughs> so the sharks attacked him also so violently that the boat was spun around and the water turned red. That night, Mooney succumbed to her injuries, dying of blood poisoning. Keely, Kylie and Kavanaugh, the only two left, had to toss her body overboard where she too was eaten by sharks. I didn't think sharks didn't have to toss her body overboard. <laughs> well, you wouldn't want a corpse. No, <laughs> may as well. The sharks have had a feast, so they may as well have a big banquet. Shortly after, Kylie and Kavanaugh, close to death themselves, were spotted by a Russian cargo ship off the coast of Cape Hatteras. They were rescued four days after the abandoned ship and five days after setting sail. I mean, and then it goes on to talk about Stephen Callahan, what you were talking about, Yaz. But, I mean, you're talking about people who've been lost at sea for half a year or a year at most. These people were only lost at sea for fucking four days. And <laughs> most of them were eaten by sharks. Yes. <laughs> God, they were pissed out their faces. Yeah, don't, don't, like, why would you... <laughs> Why would you have a boat if you're the captain and you're scared of the sea? It doesn't make any sense. Oh my God. I bet they just tired it and they just went out for like a joyride. One of idiots. Yeah. I mean, of, of as horrific as that story is, I did find it quite funny. No, I can't I mean, Yeah, it's horrible and entertaining. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, so don't get lost at sea, people. And if you do, at least have the smarts to survive and know what to do. So I would maybe... Yeah, do some research like Callahan did, and at least he had the the smarts to actually like store stuff, like you said, Jazz, and and have his boat like sink slowly if it ever got into trouble. And yeah, that's smart. Unfortunately, yeah. the sea fought otherwise and decided to say, "Fuck you, Callahan, you can't have that food. I'm yeah. gonna wash all your shit." Oh. How dare you try to survive? The sea is a hard mistress, as pirates say. Mm-hmm. So next week, what we're we gonna talk about? Are we going to dip into Mark's magic hat? Yum. I don't know why that sounds really wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Keep your hands out my hat, you pervert. <laughs> uh, whose who's turn is it to, to pick? Well, um, I would say yes. Uh, number three. Number three is South American myths. Okay. Way. Woo. Done that. Arriba. No, that's not South American, is it? Hey. I think Speedy Gonzalez. <laughs> yeah, yes, actually. Technically a South American, so. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
one of my favourite cartoons, which was probably quite racist, but hey-ho. I used to actually think that Mexicans were really speedy because of that cartoon. That's how daft I was. I mean, yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> I used to think if you ate a taco, you would get like, like you know, like Popeye ate spinach to make them strong. I thought if you ate like chilling your tacos, it make you really fast at running. That's how we ate spinach because it's gonna make you strong. Mum generally convinced us that if you ate spinach, you'd get really strong. Mm. And you do have superhuman strength, so like that that cartoon yeah, yeah. Banana Man. It's on Amazon, and David was like, he put it on. I was like, why are we watching this? This is shit. The only reason why they made this was because it was to make children eat more bananas. Mm. Is it? <laughs> That's what I think anyway. I hate bananas. But oh, I find it really bananas. weird that like he's a wee thirteen year old boy and he turns into like an adult banana man type yeah, freak. Basically Shazam but with Shazam, bananas. Yeah, with bananas. Oh god, yeah, you're right. He was a wee boy and he turned into a man and then the news reporter like fancied him as well. Yeah. <laughs> he was also kinda like big. It's like big and Shazam with bananas. Too bad with big man. Like I didn't realise until I was older that yeah, that's that woman's banged a thirteen year old boy. Yeah, definitely. I mean how like the look on her face when he sees it turns back in a boy and you're like, Oh my god. Oh sorry. I think we're still talking about banana man. <laughs> There's a scene in the children's T V programme, Banana Man, where Banana Man fucks a reporter. He slowly takes off her bra and it's the first time you've seen a woman. (laughs) (laughs) Fuck. Suck on my banana, bitch. (laughs) Or you know that scene, you know how in school where they show you how to put a condom on a banana? No. That never happened, And We all went to the same school. (laughs) I was going to say, wait, what class were you in with that? I thought it was a cucumber. (laughs) Hell no. Oh my God. I feel like an American mess. (laughs) (laughs) We should stop recording now. <laughs> like... Nah, well, yeah. Okay. <laughs> we'll talk about South American Myths next week. Thanks very much, guys, for listening. It was a pleasure <laughs> um, having you back, Yasmin. Mm-hmm. I'm so happy that you joined us and you're back from your birthday celebrations. And <laughs> you just have to wait for another year for when you're 37. <laughs> sure. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> Bye. 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 Chris, so, man.